This is The Table Business, a Sounds Like Adventure podcast all about people doing great work in the tabletop world. On this show, we're going to speak to the independent creators who make the games that you and I love. I'm your host and the DM of Sounds Like Adventure, Jack Trainer. Hey, hey, can you believe it? It's already episode 10 of The Table Business. To think this show launched only a couple of months ago and already, here we are, 10 amazing conversations with 10 awesome independent TTRPG creators. And let's get right into the 10th one of those conversations right now. Today, we're back in the land down under. So let's uh, chuck another prawn on the barbie with our mate Dakin Dunn from the Tabletop Wondersmith. So the Tabletop Wondersmith is a one-man operation run by Dakin and my gosh, he's doing some incredible stuff with Timber. If you haven't seen his Instagram page, it's at the underscore tabletop underscore Lumbersmith. But I'm sure if you search the tabletop Lumbersmith, you'd find it. And he has some seriously incredible builds on this page. He's making things from movies. He's making things from games. And in today's chat, we talk all about it. How do you get started in this world? What's the process like? All that kind of interesting stuff. And of course, we dive deep on the tabletop. How did he get into it? What's it all about with him? Hey, so with all that in mind, let's dive in. Dakin, welcome to the show. Thank you. So I want to start out with a super easy one for you. So let's uh, just start at the beginning. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell me a little bit about the business as well. How to get started. So I'm Dakin, 34 years old. Come from, I'm living in Victoria, Australia at the moment. Been here for quite a few years. And during that time, I developed my sort of skills in woodworking. And I just took a particular interest in things like um making swords. I saw a few videos online about somebody who was making some wooden swords. I was like, oh yeah, locked down. Got not much else to do during this sort of time. And I actually have, you know, room in a shed to actually have tools. So I gave that a go, really enjoyed it and just, you know, sort of just took off from there. And we'll come back to talk more about the business really soon. But I, I love to find out how people sort of like got into the whole tabletop world. So what's your origin story? How did it all begin for you? I've always had sort of like that nerdy side when it gets to like a lot of people would growing up, you know, playing the video games, doing all that sort of stuff. I spent a huge chunk of my time in my mid-teens to probably far too late into my 20s playing World of Warcraft and things like that, just sucking my life away when it went to that sort of side of things. Um, and then, you know, as things developed along the lines, I've sort of... I saw tabletop games and stuff like that very early on when it had, but it had that stigma around it, particularly things like, but particularly for things like Warhammer and things like that, where you just see everyone with their big black pelican cases going to the games workshops and hearing a lot of arguments coming out of that shop for some reason, people yelling at each other about lines of sight. And I had no idea what they're talking about at that. So I'm like, oh, all right. But during lockdown, a couple of my mates here were talking about playing um, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that. I was like, oh, I don't know. Because I played one before at a actual games workshop, but it was one of those ones where two of us were there and then a couple of random people just sort of showed up. It, was, it wasn't the best experience for that first one, I have to say, because it was... I went in there and I wanted to do things. I think I was something like a paladin. And it was a scenario where a bunch of pirates were coming to invade. Basically, there I think there was um, a little girl or something like that that was about to get like attacked by pirates. Like they rushed onto the shore and things like that. And I was on a horse and I said, all right, I'm going to go up to her and then I'm going to 
you know, grab her, put her on the horse and run off, ride off with him, sort of stuff to escape the danger. And then someone, um, typical person sort of talked to me and they're like, no, you're not going to do that. I'm like, oh, why? I thought there was some rule or something coming. It's like, no, no, no. You don't have permission to do that from them. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so that that made me feel a bit tarsed about things like, all right, this, this is a world of things that I don't think I can get behind too much. But during lockdown, it actually got better. We actually had a bunch of us guys get together and we started playing it. We played a bit online most of the time um, just because the restrictions were on. And then, you know, we started getting into it and it was it was all right. We've gone to it. It didn't have that same sort of feel as the atmosphere as you have heaps of people. And then, yeah, all of us got together and I just played more. I was like, yeah, I really like this sort of stuff. So we played a few more campaigns with that. And then um, I had my uh, daughter born and then pretty much that meant that I no longer have you know, any free time anymore. So that went out the window until somewhat recently. And then my tattooist was um, talking to me about, he was really into Warhammer. And, you know, and he was really started talking to me about things like that. And then I just started watching some lore videos. And then they're talking about things like the orcs. And uh, yeah, probably is when I get into something, I really get into it. And so, yeah, ended up buying myself a um, resin printer and then a bunch of resin sort of stuff. And then I just, start collecting stuff and painting and going nuts and since that day and thousands of dollars probably spent i probably played one and a half to two games <laughs> because none of us can lie light up that time i thought you'd when you said that when you get into something you get into something i thought you were like oh i've bought all these pieces of I've, I've, I've painted minis you you have really got into it if you've gotten yourself a resin printer but let's talk a little bit about the tabletop lumbersmith now. Um, so you mentioned how you got into uh, woodworking over time. So how do you go from being like, you know, you like World of Warcraft and you've got Warhammer, you played a bit of d and I'm going to make sulfurous, I'm going to make the sulfurous hammer. Like, how do you, how do you make that transition? It all starts as everything does with the woodworking is like back at like, well, high school. You have the high school woodwork where you get to make your chopping board. And if you're lucky, they might, they'll let you make a box or maybe a dog kennel and stuff like that. And then after that, it's like you get it, you hooked and then, you know, you want to get out of it. You want to start doing things like down the open road. They realize, well, there's no real big industry for handmade furniture and stuff like that in Australia. It's all small family businesses and there's not enough margins for them to really hire. And so if you want to do that, you'd be cabinet maker and that. So just like, uh, so all that knowledge is there just wasting away and stuff like that. But um, no, as I said, I was just watching some videos of a guy. Um, I think it's the Geek, uh, Geeks Workshop. I think his name was on the YouTube clip when it gets to it. And yeah, he was making um ranger swords and stuff like that i think they're a whole all uh, you know inspired by things like from lord of the rings and stuff like that aragon's sword and i was like oh yeah that's pretty cool and i had a friend's um birthday coming up and i was like okay i'll give this a go and just just literally just having no other sort of spare time it's like yeah i just i want to try this sort of stuff it looks pretty cool it looks like a unique thing to have so i did that and then got into it and i was like no, I really like that sort of stuff. And then um, had a lot of positive feedback for that sort of thing when it for it. And then I went to the next one. I'm like, all right, so what I'm going to do now. So I made my mates a Roman Gladius for his birthday, and he really seemed to enjoy that. And then, yeah, I just kept going from there. And I think, what did I see? It was like, all right, I want to make something a bit bigger. I want to challenge myself a little bit more with this sort of stuff. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make... Um, what was my first one? I think my very first more challenging sword was actually the Ashburner. 
I made that one up when I went to it because a big chunky sword. You have a little bit of technicality with the thing folding around on the thing. You have the the disc. I ended up having a bunch of like uh, wooden dowels like holding it there, so it looks a bit suspended in that. And I was like, yeah, I want to make this like unique sort of stuff. And that's how I hooked into the wood aspect of it because I use there's obviously a lot of replicas out there, but either it's made um ridiculously expensive for people because you have the metal replicas and stuff like that where you like thousands of thousands of dollars for that sort of stuff or you have the ones that's plastic ones when it gets to its sort of stuff which some of them look really nice with its sort of stuff but it's also just like it's like, it doesn't it doesn't have that sort of something to it so yeah i was like all right i'm gonna try to make this out of wood see what i can do and that's then yeah i managed to pull that off really well with it and then i was like all right I'm going to try another sword with it and try another. And then I went to Sophia. So I'm like, oh, I have to try this. And it's just one of those sort of stuff. It's like, there's no knowledge. There's no training when it went to its sort of stuff. It's just basically don't cut my fingers off and try doing things and stuff like that. And it's a lot of troll in there and stuff like that. And I wish there was some way that I could try to teach people. I've had a few people reach out to me to ask, but I could teach them. I'm like, man, I would be a terrible teacher because I'm in that shed and I'm just swearing and being frustrated and sometimes i'm literally just sitting down for half an hour looking at this piece of wood i'm like why won't you do what i want you to do and stuff like that sounds like me trying to record a voiceover sometimes you should see me i'm twisted my body into the weirdest shape imaginable to say some weird inflection the one you just mentioned just now like the sulfurous they you have like a four-part series on your instagram showing this and i've watched the whole thing and it is just incredible like can you just talk a little bit about that process about how you how you went out went about doing that like was it just like this iterative thing of getting it wrong and figuring things out or like how did it come together easily just just share us a little bit about it there is a lot of trial and error when it comes into it i think anyone going into any sort of skill like this whether it's woodworking or metalworking or anything the whole idea is that i think the hard thing to do is that when you look at other people's work and then you get, don't compare it to your own. It's That's a really unhealthy way to go about things with it sort of stuff. Take inspiration from other people's stuff and learn from them and their mistakes and stuff like that and go into that. Because, yeah, if you start comparing, it's a real quick way to downtrodden yourself and get into a real negative headspace because you can't go into something expecting that you're going to just instantly do it. Some people might when it gets to it sort of stuff. Some people might just have that sort of gift for it. But everything comes with hard work. When it gets to it, it's the same thing with this. My the way I first started off with a lot of things with it actually is wood work, metal work, all that sort of stuff. Making it out of that is a very similar to things like props. So if you go onto things like Etsy or online and you look up foam templates for certain weapons, type in that sort of stuff, you can literally buy them for like about three bucks, the templates, and it'll be to scale. And these things you can print off on a regular printer and it will just come in the sections and you glue it all together sort of stuff. And that's what I would do with a lot of my sort of stuff is that I would literally get it, print them all off, and then I would put them all together following the instruction, cut it out and lay it on pieces of wood and then trace around that. And that's how I started off with a lot of the things I was doing. It makes it a lot easier because you get the proportions in your mind and on the paper and you just follow those sort of instructions. There is a lot of things, though, you still have to get used to, like the thicknesses, the the way things are going to work, how to glue stuff together and stuff. But having that template scale and size and how big each piece is supposed to be and things like that just makes it a lot easier. So I would definitely recommend doing that sort of thing with it. 
these days I don't use templates really at all. I'll do a basic outline shape of the blade just for the actual to get the scale right. When I'm talking to people, they tell me how tall they are and stuff like that. And I'll look at the anime or video game or movie character and stuff like that. Get somewhat of an idea of how big they are, and then I'll scale accordingly. So say if it goes from the I don't know, their shoulder blades down to their feet and that sort of stuff. So yeah. And I ask the person how big it is, but yeah, doing that sort of stuff. But thing for Sulfurus is just like, there wasn't really any. I did re- outreach to somebody on Etsy with some of my custom orders. Um, originally, I sent him a picture and I'm like, hey, man, can you um make this a template, please? Like make this a 2D image for me. So, you know, I give him the god awful five megapixel picture of a uh, so- guy holding Sulfurus and stuff like that in World of Warcraft. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah can do that but yeah by just having that sort of um that image sent to him and paying i think somewhere around 30 bucks or something like that it gets me that 2d side view of it and that from there i can go and make it 3d within your just from an experience and you know getting used to that sort of stuff and just yeah trial and error messing up doing that sort of stuff that the video was actually my second one i've made the first one i made was just that that thing literally i it was a passion project it was a commission and it took me probably about three months on and off because i just came back went to it came back to it and they just get really frustrated but yeah after that you learn what not to do you do all that sort of stuff and yeah it just made it so much easier for the next one um so i like to always end these chats um by just asking a couple of different questions so i've got three questions i always come back to so first one What's one thing that people don't realize about independent tabletop creators like yourself? I think that people, not all, but a lot of people underestimate the the value of time when it comes to things. They will look at raw material value of things, and then that's what they will base everything off of. They'll look at something from, they can get something, a table from Kmart for 50 bucks. And then they'll compare it to you when you try something more like 200, but what they don't, or probably more than that, but still as a very basic coffee table with that. And they don't realize that if anything, the only reason I would do something like that, and I'm still would make a loss if I went by hours because yeah, this is most of these builds are between what, probably three to seven days when it gets to it of doing those sort of stuff. I'm spending probably something around 40, 50 hours of solid labor on these sort of things. So if you break it down by that per hour, you're earning something like maybe like nine, seven, seven, eight bucks an hour on it sort of stuff. So it's only from passion from that. So true value of labor and stuff like that behind things. And that's what I think somebody, people really underestimate or don't understand when it comes to small businesses is that you need to have some sort of incentive with time and stuff when it gets to it as well. And your time does have value behind it and craft and expertise, the time you've spent mastering that craft as well, all that stuff is adds up. And the fact that I we haven't discussed this, but I'm assuming you're one person, right? You don't have a whole squadron of people helping you out to get this stuff done. Everything you see that's posted online, it is me, myself, and I with it. Except I should say, though, for any of the videos you guys see online on my Instagrams, Facebook, whatever it is on there, my socials is... But done by my lovely wife. She takes the photos for me. She does the video editing for me. And she's absolutely fantastic with that sort of side of things. So yeah, I I could not do it without her on that sort of side of things. The the it, the socials would not exist without my wife. 
Question number two. So we're obviously, uh, there sounds like adventure. It's a D&D podcast. So we, we, I have some D&D oriented questions for you as well. So what was your first ever character that you played in D&D? My very first character that I really got into and invested in was um, a tabaxi bard, but it was a tabaxi who was a raccoon. He was a southern gentleman and that sort of stuff. And he talks sort of like Colonel Sanders, like, my dear sir, I do declare I'm going to be doing this. Like Foghorn Leghorn is what you're doing. <laughs> well, I, 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 do, I do say, sir. I <laughs> say. Yes. I say. That would have been and very fun. It was a very fun thing, particularly when it was just, we did have a scenario, I think, where we were held trial for something. And I was just... <laughs> I was full foghorn layhorn mixed with better calls Saul. Just, just, just. So you got to be like the southern, the southern lawyer. Southern, the, the southern lawyer. So uh, then, the third question of this sort of section: uh, Looking back at your time spent around tables, playing various games, Warhammer, D and D, whatever else it may have be, do you have a favorite story? Either something funny that happened, just a good friend moment, anything like that that comes to mind? Recently, um, some of my mates, we played a tabletop games of, um, it was the Lord of the Rings scenario. You get, it's like Warhammer, but it's with Lord of the Rings characters and stuff like that. So basically, there was a scenario with this one where I think I got like eight elven characters and that sort of stuff. And, the whole, and then the other person got about like, like 10 Urukai. The Urukai character had to go from their end of the table and make it all the way to your end of the table. And, you know, you get to move a certain amount of inches each round and stuff like that when it gets. So I think all of it would equal up to a 10 rounds for him to make it over there. And they're really tanky and a real pain. The only way you can kill them is literally on fives and sixes. And, but they have no range. Yeah. So the whole is you try and pick them off and all that sort of stuff. And he has to get four of them over to my side and I have to kill six of them to win. And they have to get four over to my side, two women. It's, yeah, it came down right to the very end of sort of stuff like that. Because as I said, these guys are a pain to kill. And just like, no, nah, I, I could I could hit them fine, but I couldn't roll to kill. For I, I kept getting like fours and threes and stuff like that. And then it was like, literally, I had to kill one more eventually with it to make it so that would do it. And he was on his last roll as well when it went to it. And he just knocked past my... um Pushed back all my characters, knocked out my melees all failed. There was all, all this sort of stuff. I had and I had one dude left to be able to actually do something. This one dude is left had to kill one of his dudes and had to roll a five or six to win and that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, he managed to roll a, a six to kill him on the very last one, which we found real. And what made it funny with the fact is that literally, probably the round before that, we were we went to the story about the. Stephen Bradbury, I think it was, you know, that Olympic skater who was just behind everybody. And then everyone else just effed up. <laughs> they all fell over and they just... He done a Bradbury. That's that's the Australian phrase now. It's it's become a part of Australian culture, doing a Bradbury. With a Bradbury. And that's what this sort of scenario became with it because this guy's literally just like at the line, like, yeah, I'm going to make it to it. And, and the guy playing it was so fun. And he was so happy because he thought he was going to win and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, oh, and I just roll it and I get the six. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to win. And then just like, oh, come on, man. And he just pulled over and just did it. And the rest of us, the other two of us, we were just cacking ourselves and stuff like that. So it was just the funniest hey, thing. This elf is like Michael Jordan at the buzzer, like just out of nowhere. <laughs> Just want to heal. Like, yeah, man, you got it. Sort of stuff. It was just 
that's just the fun of the dice roll sometimes, hey? Like, it's just totally invented. The drama's all created just by the randomized number that pops up. Dakin, thanks so much for joining me on the show. Um, how can people find out more about you? People are interested. They can find me on Instagram or Facebook under the Tabletop Lumbersmith. There they can see stuff I've done previously, um, watch the videos, reels, share it around. And if you guys are interested in ever getting commission, feel free to outreach to me through messages on those channels. And yeah, send me a picture. I can tell you if I can make it or not. And yeah, give you a quote. Awesome. Love it. And let me say, Dakin is extremely friendly via uh, Instagram messages. That's how we got in touch. Uh, you responded very quickly and you're very easy to talk to. And thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for that. You've been listening to The Table Business, a Sounds Like Adventure podcast all about people doing great work in the tabletop world. If you'd like to know more about anything we spoke about today, all the links for all the people that we spoke to are available in the show notes. Or head over to soundslike underscore pod on Instagram and we'll definitely be talking about them there. And if you liked what you heard, why not check out Sounds Like Adventure? That's our main show. It's an actual play podcast with fun role play, short run times and great sound design. But to make sure you don't miss the next episode of The Table Business, make sure you subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And a five-star review really, really helps to get a few more people to see the show. And we hear it sounds like adventure. We would be so grateful if you took the time to do that. All right. With all that in mind, we'll catch you for the next episode of The Table Business.